Good morning, everyone. Oh, I really should have learned good morning in Polish. Polish friends, you're so welcome with us this morning. I've talked to some of you already, but you're so uh, you're so welcome, as is everybody else. Um, um, but particularly great to see uh, some some visitors in with us today, and uh, pray God's blessing on your Easter holidays here with us. Um, yeah, thanks guys for for leading us so well as you always do and. In sung worship, um, and uh, looking forward to what David, where David's, uh, what David is um, stirring, what's stirring in David's heart for next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. Uh, and thanks for those that were up, that were there yesterday, helped us out, girls, guys, uh, helped us out yesterday uh, in the living room. We had a really great morning. Uh, it's just really good, just to engage with. Um, with many of the people in our in our community, and uh, I was really encouraged today. It maybe seems like a minor thing, but some people that couldn't make yesterday because they were on holidays. Uh, people that I don't know whether they have any church connection or not, but have been uh, sharing our uh, Grace Community Church's um, Bible verses on their Facebook page this morning, and and, uh, and sometimes that maybe feels a bit minor, but but just uh, just feels like what we've been praying for, what we've been longing for, what we've been going after as we've been seeking the Lord for our community. Um, there's moments where you just feel like there's maybe a sense of momentum. And uh, that's just beautiful to have that sort of sense and then uh, for, for David to feel like we're gonna, we wanna actually go after this even more. We wanna just settle for, for the twos and the threes and the few families that, that gathered around us yesterday. We wanna, we wanna keep on believing for, for, for more. So, uh, so be encouraged, and um, and as Neville put up on the WhatsApp, for maybe for some of you that that joined in with us over the last week in praying and fasting for for what God is doing among us and what He's uh, stirring in us, uh, and maybe there was something you sensed in that time of prayer and fasting, we would love you to to let us to let us know. Or even if it wasn't in the place of prayer and fasting, if you just sense that God's doing something, He's 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 a uh, Revealing something to you, you're sensing something in your spirit as you pray for uh, for our church and for this community. We would love you to to um, to be able to share that with us. So, to go right back to the beginning, I'm going to make my way to John chapter 20. We're going to we're going to spend a bit of time in John chapter 20. But I'd love, to, I'd love to take you back just for a moment to, to Genesis 1 and in the beginning how everything was created and how God had brought complete, there was, there was relationship with people made in his own image. There was shalom, there was peace, there was completeness, there was wholeness. There was perfection in relationship with God and perfection in relationship with one another. And this idea of shalom, it is, it is a greeting that is still used today. And, uh, and if, I was to ask, if I was to ask you what your understanding of that word shalom is, I imagine that for many of us, it would be, uh, it would, our understanding of it would be that it means peace. And, and it does, it does mean peace, but it means so much more than peace. It, it means wholeness. It means completeness 
It means well-being. And, uh, and this is what life looked like. This is what it looked like in the first couple of chapters in Genesis. This is what shalom looked like. This is what well-being and wholeness looked like. People made in the image of God, walking with him in the cool of the day, ruling and, and, and subduing the earth together in relationship with each other and, and ultimately in relationship with him. And so much of the Old Testament that keeps going back to this, to this image of shalom. It's over 230 times that this, that this word is used in, in our Old Testament. It's been mentioned a couple of times actually in the last few weeks in Judges chapter 6 where, where God reveals himself as Yahweh shalom. The Lord is peace. He is a God of peace. And uh, and I've, uh, I just I found a book, I haven't got back, I haven't read it again, but I remember reading it a number of years ago. It's a book by David Wilkerson, um, the late David Wilkerson, and uh, he wrote a book called Hallowed Be Thy Names. And, uh, and it's 10 or 12 chapters on, um, on the names that how God has revealed himself throughout, throughout history and throughout scripture. And this is one of those names. So one of the one of the one of the names that we see in Judges chapter six, and we see it over and over again in, in the Old Testament, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, the Lord is peace. And for those of us that were with that were part of our the, the four cups on Thursday night, just for those that weren't really quickly, we we uh, we used the four I will promises of Exodus chapter six. Uh, as we shared communion together, as we remembered what is, uh, what is commonly known as the Passover Cedar, S-E-D-R, S-E-D-E-R. And, um, and so we, we, we looked and seen God's heart for the children of Israel. And we were saying that it's still, that his heart still is the same today, that he would bring us out from the yoke of slavery and he would set us free from what we've been in bondage to. And he would redeem us, uh, redeem us with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And he will call us his own people and we will be his God. There were the four I will promises. That's what he came. He'd heard the cry. He'd heard the cry. He'd seen what they were going through. He'd felt what they were going through. And he came. Yahweh Shalom came. The Lord, the Lord is peace came to bring wholeness to keep to bring completeness because it was the promises and the purposes and the lifestyle had become so fractured there was this cycle and that's what we talked about on thursday night this we've we seen the heart of god we've seen the, the 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 i will promises of god that he wanted to fulfill uh, in the in the nation of israel but as we go through our old testament we'll see there is just this cycle of falling away, this cycle of falling away and then the shalom of God coming to try to bring them back, to woo them back. And then to give, to give way again, to fall away, to give in to bondage. And this cycle goes on and on throughout our Old Testament. And we get to those, we get to the, the prophetic books. We get to the, we get to Isaiah these prophetic books that, that begin to give us a hope that it's not always going to be this way. 
It's not always going to be this fractured. It's not always going to be this incomplete. It's not going to always be this, this lacking of peace and wholeness because a child will be born, a son will be given, and he will be called wonderful. He'll be called mighty. He'll be called everlasting, and he will be called the prince of peace. There is one who is coming. There is one who is going to be given. A son will be born who will be the prince of peace. There's a translation. There's, a, there's a, someone who's taken it from the, from the literal Hebrew, and he will be the prince of wholeness. He will be the prince of wholeness. And verse 7, he goes on to say in his translation of Isaiah 9, verse 7, there will be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. And so I think if we go back to the Old Testament in, in, in the, much the same way we did on Thursday, we get an insight into the heart of God, the desire that has always been there for his people, for those that will say yes to following in his way. And the promise is that there is one who is coming, one who will be born. And we get an insight. We have the joy of being, of, of catching this on the other side of Jesus on the other side of the cross. It truly is a privilege. And we recognize now that there is nothing that he wouldn't do. There is nothing that he wouldn't do to restore peace. There's no place that he wouldn't go to to bring wholeness and to bring completeness to those that are made in his image. And that includes every one of us in this room this morning. There is nothing that he won't do to bring, to bring his peace, to bring his shalom. There is no limits to the wholeness that he brings. And as we come to the Gospels, as we come to, to, to Luke chapter two, there has been this period of silence. And we come to Luke chapter two and we have the angels come and announce that, announce the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and peace on all men, peace to all men on earth the announcement of Jesus coming reminds us, it takes us back to that promise, takes us back to the longing that there has always been in the heart of God, that, they, that his people would experience peace and Jesus comes. And the announcement, the celebration is glory to God. Glory to God because there is peace coming to all men on earth. And as we read our gospels, we see Jesus his ministry in some ways being inaugurated in Luke chapter four, when he stands and he, and, he, and he lets the people know that he is fulfilling Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring wholeness essentially. He's gonna open the blind eyes. He's gonna set people free. Those that are oppressed, he's gonna, he's gonna lead them out of oppression because the Prince of Peace has come to bring wholeness. The Prince of Peace has come to set captives free. And if we, were to, if we were to take the Hebrew equivalent in the Greek, it's the word Irene. This, and it's the same meaning. If you were to go and, and see the Greek in our New Testaments, you'll see uh, the word Irene when, it's meant, when peace is mentioned. It's used almost a hundred times. But it's that same idea. It's the Hebrew equivalent of Shalom that the peace would be, would be wholeness, completeness, well-being. 
And we see Jesus do that. We see him give his life to restoring that which is broken, bringing wholeness to that which is incomplete. That's what the Prince of Peace comes to do. And you'll know, you'll have heard me saying this often enough, I, my, my favorite portion of scripture is what is uh, most commonly known as the farewell discourse. And so from John 14 to John 17, we have these four chapters of the, of the closing words of Jesus. Last Sunday, we, had, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday, that moment when Jesus arrived, Jesus arrived uh, into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey and the crowds were celebrating his arrival hosanna hosanna in the highest and uh, and then we have chapter 13 where he washes the disciples feet and what a crazy week this was for jesus last sunday he was being he was being welcomed in he was being championed into jerusalem and the next day he washes the disciples feet and as the week goes on uh, he ends up arrested in John chapter 18. But in between, we have these closing words, these words that he wants his disciples to hear, these words that he wants us to hear. And so in John 14, verse, verse 27, these are words that Jesus speaks to the disciples that still seem, this, this seem almost uh, confusing to us now, but imagine how it must have felt to the disciples, when Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Just previously, uh, Jesus has, has told the disciples, I need to go. <laughs> I must go. I'm about to be, I'm about to go away. And it is better for you that I go away. Imagine the shock that the disciples must have felt when they heard these words. And, and down in this verse, Jesus says, Jesus gives us reasons why it is better that he goes. He's going to bring, he's going to remind you of everything that I have said to you. And then he says, peace I leave with you. Peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not, uh, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's better that I go, Jesus says. And as you follow, as you follow the, the rest of his, follow the rest of this through and, and even again, he mentions it in chapter 16. I need to go so that you can experience peace. That's what he's saying. I need, I need to go so that you can experience peace. I need to go because you, you need to be made whole. I need to go away because you need reconciled in relationship to God and each other. And so in John 16, you'll read, as Jesus begins to, to, to finish this farewell discourse, as he begins to finish this, uh, this, this dialogue, this monologue with, with, that he's speaking to the disciples, he says, I've said all of this so that you can know peace. I've said all of this so that you can experience peace. And then Jesus turns and prays. He prays to the Father. He prays for himself and he prays for the disciples that are gathered around him and he prays for 
for those that will believe in him through their message, through their word. And so what was broken, and that's why I wanted to go back just briefly to Genesis, because what was broken in the garden, what was fractured in the garden is going to be made whole in Jesus' going away. And when Jesus was talking about going away, he was referring to his death and his resurrection. And so what was broken in the garden was going to be made whole in Jesus going away. And, and so we, we arrive in John 18 at a different garden. And the beginning of this wholeness, the beginning of this, this peace, this completeness, it starts out in a different garden. It starts out in the, in the, where there was an olive grove. I had the, we had the privilege of, some of us had the privilege of being in this very olive grove um, last year. We spent a week in Jordan and then a few days in, in Israel. And we sat and worshiped in this, in, this, uh, in this olive grove where Jesus sat, this little garden where Jesus, um, after he'd finished praying, he sat in this olive grove with his disciples and it was at this place that Judas arrived with a detachment of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And he's arrested and he's brought before the high priest. If you're following, just sort of summarizing these next few chapters, John 18 and 19. And you'll have been familiar with it. You'll have been familiar with it over the last couple of days as we, as we, uh, as we came towards Good Friday. Reminded of how Jesus was brought before the high priest. And then the high priest sent him to Pilate to be crucified. And Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with him, and he and he gathers, he 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 goes out to the crowd who are baying for blood. And he says to the crowd, It's my it's I've always done it, I've released to you, I've released a prisoner to you and do you want me to release Jesus? And they shout, no. Release to us Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. And after Jesus has been welcomed in less than a week previous, there's the crowd that has welcomed him with palm leaves and with shouts and celebrations of Hosanna. And now a few days later, there's another crowd that, that demand that he be crucified. And we come to chapter 19 and we, we see how Jesus was brutally flogged. We see how they mocked him. And we see how they put a crown of thorns in his head. And they continued to mock him by dressing him in a purple robe. And they spat on him. They brutally, they brutally whipped him, scourged him. And halfway through chapter 19, we're told how he carried his own cross. He carried his own cross to the place where he would be crucified, to the place that he'd be killed. And it was not, it was not long after making sure that his mum 
would be taken care of. But then Jesus breathed his last. From the cross, as he's coming towards the end, he looks and he sees his mum. And he sees the other Mary and he sees Mary Magdalene. And he sees John. There's many that have fled. Many that have abandoned him and betrayed him and denied him. And as he looks from the cross in the midst of all his pain, he sees his mom. And he says, John, take care of my mom. <laughs> Beautiful moment. And, uh, and then once he, once he knew that his mom was looked after, taken care of, he breathed his last. And in his last breath, he announced that it is finished. In his last breath, he announced it's done. And with that announcement, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And I love, I love what Paul does in Colossians chapter two. Because I, as I thought about this moment, and reminding myself of what it was, what was going on when Jesus said it's all it is finished. What was Jesus, what was Jesus meaning when he said it was all done? And in Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen, this is what Paul says. This is remarkable. It truly is. God made us alive with Christ to go back. He forgave us all our sins. He canceled the written code with all of its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. But listen to this, verse 15. And he disarmed, he disarmed the powers and the authorities. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so as, as Jesus cried out, it's done. It is finished. There's maybe more stuff that he was referring to. There's maybe more meaning that we can get out of this, but I think Paul is, is on to something powerful here. What Jesus had triumphed over as he breathed his last was that all of the powers and the authorities that have brought fraction, that have caused there to be no peace, they have been disarmed. Everything that is that causes you to, to, to feel a lack of peace, to feel a lack of wholeness, to feel a lack of being complete, that has been disarmed. The frustrating thing for me is that I'm the one that arms it. I'm the one that gives it. I'm the one that gives the powers and the authorities the ammunition because on the cross, Jesus disarmed them. He disarmed the powers and the authorities and he made a fool out of them. He made a spectacle of them when he triumphed over them on the cross. All that had all that had broken shalom, all that had broken our sense of peace, it was disarmed in this moment when Jesus said, it's done, it's finished. And we get to John chapter 20 and for those that were, that were with us this morning at the castle, we read from, we read from this chapter. And just in case, just in case you've been in the busyness of your morning, in case that you haven't familiarized yourself with this story. And I, I absolutely do not apologize for reading it again for those that have already read it this morning. 
It's, it's, we could read it three or four or five, six times and we should never, we should never uh, become familiar with this. So let's read it. Let's read John chapter 20. The moments after so Jesus has breathed his last, he's announced that it's done. It's complete. It's finished. And, and then Joseph of Arimathea has come and taken his body, buried it in a newly prepared tomb in the garden. It's all being, it was broken in the garden and it's all being restored in the garden. Early, John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb, crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers, tell them. I'm returning to my father and to your father to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let me read on another couple of verses. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And here was his first words. Here was the first words Jesus spoke to the gathering of the disciples. His first appearing to them all together. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And again, just as I read that this morning, I felt reminded again how this was a restoring of that original mandate. 
This was a restoring of what, was, what happened uh, back in Genesis 1 and 2 when Jesus breathed into Adam. He breathed into him. He received the breath of God. And Jesus comes with his peace, with his wholeness, with his shalom, with his completeness. I say, this is, what, this is something of what I meant when I was saying it's done, it's finished. You need to experience peace, to experience wholeness. Now, with that sense of wholeness and completeness, I am sending you in the same way that I was sent. I'm breathing into you the very life that was breathed in at the beginning. Let me just read this. This quote that fascinated me this week. A theologian that was speaking about this word shalom, he said, it is well known that that was and still is that shalom was the everyday, still is the everyday greeting of Jews in Palestine. Shalom to you. But this was no ordinary day. Never had that common word been so filled with meaning as when Jesus uttered it on Easter evening. All that the prophets had poured into shalom as the epitome of the blessings of the kingdom of God had essentially been realized in the redemptive deeds of the incarnate son of God lifted up for the salvation of the world. There's a lot packed into those few lines there, but but listen to this. His shalom, his shalom on Easter evening is the completion of it is finished on the cross. For the peace of reconciliation and life from God is now imparted. Shalom. Accordingly is supremely the Easter greeting. And not surprisingly, it is included along with grace in the greeting of every epistle in, of Paul in the New Testament. His shalom on this Easter evening. On this Easter evening, behind the locked doors, disciples in fear, in confusion, in grief. His shalom on that Easter evening was the completion of it is finished in the cross for the peace of, of reconciliation. The life from God is now imparted. He is the ultimate peacemaker. So we've entitled our morning. He is the ultimate peacemaker. It's always been the heart of God, that we would experience something that he was longing, that, 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 he, was, that he shared with Mary. Mary, I, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going back to my Father and to your Father. I'm going back to my God and to your God. Reconciliation has been made complete. It's been made available. Colossians chapter one, verse 19 says that he has he is made peace. He is making peace. Still is, not that he was, he still is. Making peace, Paul says. As God was reconciling all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he's doing it by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This was Jesus. As God was pleased to have all all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. It was in order that he would reconcile all things to himself. And he's doing that by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the world was out of joint. And, and I, for many of us, I know that, that we, we read 
today, Tara has put up on, on, on our WhatsApp, on Facebook, what took place in Sri Lanka, what continues to take place around our world. And it, it, it's, it does, it seems pretty obvious that our world is out of, out of joint. And that's why the message of peace is so important. That's why the message of peace today, even for us in Northern Ireland, after what has went on in our, in our nation this weekend, more than ever, we need to experience the peace of God. We need to know, we need to know what it is for what we bring to a world that is out of joint. The ultimate peacemaker comes to bring completeness. The ultimate peacemaker comes to bring wholeness. And Paul in his letter to Romans and, and other places, he reminds us ultimately it's peace with God. He's reconciled us to himself. And on that Easter evening, that, that, that's what they, they needed to hear the most. What they needed to hear most was that there was, that there was peace, that there was wholeness in the midst of real fear. There was real fear here. This was genuine fear that these, that these disciples were facing. Jesus brings peace in the midst of real fear. He brings peace to Thomas in the face of obvious doubts. He comes and brings peace. Thomas, your mind is confused. Your mind is, is, is fractured, but my peace. Jesus never condemns him. I love that Jesus doesn't do that shared with the young guys up on Wednesday night in the living room. I, I love Thomas because, because any time I, I don't feel like I'm condemned, any time that I'm struggling with doubts or, or insecurities because, because Jesus didn't condemn, Jesus didn't criticize. He actually came, he actually came really close. He really came really close to Thomas and said, peace, peace be with you. Come and experience, come close and, and see. Peace even with the prospect of real trials. Jesus has promised them that. He said to them in his farewell discourse, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome. Peace be with you. In this world you will have troubles. It seems a bit of a paradox, but isn't that that the whole nature of the kingdom? So upside down. At times it feels so paradoxical, but here it's... It seems the same. Peace be with you. You're about to go through trial and tribulation. There's peace. There's peace for you. There's peace for you in the midst of real fear. This morning, there's peace in the face of obvious doubts. And there's peace even with the prospect of real difficult trials. Peace with God and and peace with each other. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 to 17. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Here we have the peacemaker once again. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, 
thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away, and he came and preached peace to those who were near. To create one new man, thus making peace. And he truly was fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. The prince of peace would come. The prince of wholeness and well-being would come. And he comes to bring wholeness. And there is no limits to the wholeness that he brings. And so I'm comforted this morning. There's part of me that is comforted by the peace, the shalom, the completeness, the wholeness that was ultimately made at the cross. that we got an insight into with the announcement that, is it, that it's finished. And we see its, complete, its, its fulfillment in his resurrection. And I'm comforted by that there is no limits. There's, no, there's nothing that he won't do. There's no place that he won't go to bring wholeness and to bring shalom. But the limits, the limits that are placed are, are most often on our part. We are the ones that place the limits. We are the ones that refuse to make peace. We are the ones that refuse to follow the Jesus way. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And he's and he's in his most incredible sermon that we read in, in Matthew five, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you for making peace. And Paul over and over, as I've already said, he, he closes out his epistles by saying the God of peace be with you. And if we're going to live the Jesus way that Paul lays out for us, he lays out for us and he challenges us over and over again. He challenges us, challenges us in Ephesians chapter three, 4, verse 3, when he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he's our ultimate peacemaker. I'm comforted by that, but I'm challenged by the limits that are placed and the limits that are placed to bring in wholeness, the limits that, that we place by, by refusing to walk, to step across walls of hostility. And these words have, have, have been packed with meaning for me today as I've, as I've prayed and sought the Lord for what took place down in Derry. And I'm praying and I'm God, we are... Your, the challenges that we would make every effort. Romans 14 says something similar. Make every effort to be a peacemaker. Do all that you can to be a peacemaker. It's on, some of this, it's on you. And, and sometimes whenever I think of peace, and maybe you're a bit like me, sometimes whenever I think of peace, it almost becomes a bit of a passive word. It almost becomes a word that it's, well, peace, it's an absence of conflict. It's an absence of violence. And maybe that's, maybe that's part of the definition of it. But we're talking, about, we're talking about the peace of God, the completeness and the wholeness and the well-being of God. And so it's not just an absence of conflict. It's not just an absence of violence. It's an active stepping across walls of hostility. It's an active, it's an active surrendering your lives. It's an active surrendering your pride and yourself and your ego. That's, that's what to make peace is. It's not a passive, it's not a passive word at all. It's an active, 
And we see it in Jesus. We see it in, in the life of Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker. It wasn't just a matter of, of keeping things nice and simple and easy. It was a matter of actively stepping in <laughs> to humanity, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, being rejected, being beaten, being spat upon. It was an act of surrendering of all of himself. That's what it means to make peace. It was an act of laying down. It was an act of stepping across those walls of hostility to reconcile both sides to himself. And so there's part of me that is really comforted as I consider Jesus as our peacemaker. But I'm incredibly challenged as I consider what it means for us who are following the Jesus way, who are living out, who are living out the, the Jesus life. I am incredibly challenged by what then that means for us. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer of the Hebrews says, pursue peace with everyone. I'd love to have found a, a softer verse. I'd love to have found an easier way to, to say this. But Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace and holiness since no one will see God without it. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness for without it, no one will see God. I'm not sure I fully know what that means, but I, I certainly am challenged by the thought of, of being a person of peace, being a peacemaker. I'm going to follow after the Jesus way, live out the Jesus, come into all of the fullness and the completeness and the wholeness that he has made available, that he has, that he has, that he, through the shedding of his blood, he has made peace with God and with each other. And so I want to finish by, by just reading those same verses again that I've already read in John 20. The, the announcement that Jesus made, the first words that he spoke to the gathering of the disciples, locked away in fear, in doubt, in confusion, fractured, incomplete. Jesus comes and he brings his peace comes and says, peace be with you guys. Wholeness, completeness be with you. And, and the same way that, that he'd said it to the disciples, I think he continues to say it to us. Now that you know my peace, now that my peace is with you, in the same way that the Father sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray this morning that, that you would breathe upon us. Holy Spirit, on this, as we look to this Easter evening, this Easter evening greeting, <laughs> we, just, we just follow the, the desire and the longing for shalom, for peace. Thank you that it was finished. Thank you that it was made complete in your death and your resurrection. 
and we are comforted by what that means for us who live on this side of the cross, who live on this side of the resurrection. And we're challenged. And so we come to you, Jesus, and we pray that you would help us to, in the same way that you were, that you, that you were buried, God, would we, would we die to our sins? And in the same way that you were raised, God, would be a sense that you would raise us to new life. There'd be a sense just of new life and new creation among us. And in many ways, the, the disciples still faced the same, the same trials. They still faced the same, the same doubts. They still wrestled with questions and, and fears. But your peace had come. And God, we'd be comforted and challenged in equal measure this morning. And we just ask that we have that sense as we leave this place, that we go with the spirit of God breathed in us. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it's alive in us, God. I just pray that it would, for some of us that there would be almost like some sort of spiritual CPR to breathe back into life. Breathe the spirit of God back into life within us. It would bubble up within us. It would gush out from us. From us would be springs of eternal life, God. We'd be able to say to those, come and, come and drink because we've experienced shalom. We've experienced wholeness. And Jesus, we thank you. Will you continue to move us and inspire us help us to over and over just fall in love with this story and with the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just apply all of this to our hearts and to our lives today. In Jesus' name.